and welcome to Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. I'm Danielle in warm, muggy, stormy England. And with me, as always, is Melanie in a less stormy but still muggy California. Yeah, sounds about right. It's actually quite lovely right now, but give it a give it in like two hours. It'll be hot and it'll suck. Yes, you're in the wee hours of the morning at the moment where it's pleasant. Mm-hmm. 9.40 a.m., nice and like 67, 70 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Have you been watching David Lynch's daily weather reports? No. What? Yes. Well, do you remember the now defunct, I think it was 103.3 indie radio station for L.A.? Yes, yes, he I do. used he used to do the weather on there in the morning. Um, I vaguely recommend, I vaguely remember this. Yeah. But as of late, he's been using his YouTube channel to give weather broadcasts, but it's just for LA. Um, <laughs> and it usually uh says something along the lines of the the morning fog is still quite heavy sunshine later will be about 71 degrees you know how david lynch talks yeah well, i can't do david lynch but i have alerts to tell me that they're up and it happens about four o'clock in the afternoon here <laughs> and That's i still awesome. watch them i watch david lynch's morning weather broadcast for LA because it calms me down oh yeah that, I'm gonna start doing that now that's amazing yeah subscribe to his channel and put alerts on so that you actually see it it's really amazing yeah shit. and for all of our listeners why not if you like David Lynch as a person <laughs> it's always it, it, it's just one of those things that I found is quite self-soothing David Lynch weather report that's dope I'm on it I yeah. can't believe I just said that's dope on my podcast i apologize that's amazing <laughs> it's okay sometimes i'm editing back and i think do i say literally that often <laughs> i don't know when i started saying like that's dope and and i i really hate myself every single time i say it i'm going to blame it entirely on um <sighs> shit i'm forgetting what it's called why am i forgetting what it's called uh, Tim makes me watch it like once a year. Oh, the show about the science teacher who gets cancer and then cooks meth. Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Yes. God. Blah. Yeah, I blame that show entirely for the fact that I say dope and uh, bitches. Like, go, yeah, bitch. Yeah. When whenever that happens, I blame it squarely on Breaking Bad, and I hate myself every time I say it. I used. I got through phases where I hate that I say dude. And then sometimes I love that I say dude. I love that. Yeah, because, like, honestly, sometimes I go, dude. And I'll be like, it sounded really cool when I said dude that time. (laughs) And then sometimes I'll say dude. And I'll be like, oh, no, that wasn't a dude moment. (laughs) (laughs) Because you have to be really careful and selective about your dudes here. Because dude is not really a slang term here. So, I mean, they know. And because they know that I lived they people generally know because my accent is strange that I've not always lived in the UK but sometimes I'll just cringe at my own dude but sometimes dude is just perfect yeah dude dude can be really really poignant sometimes I almost do it as well when people are very um 
like there's more people there's like I'm outnumbered by people saying mate yeah so yeah. there's loads of people saying oh mate that's ace that's oh mate this oh mate that which is more slangy here mate mate so I almost turn up the dude to counter the mates even though yeah, I'm yeah. perfectly happy with the mates I say mate but uh dude so, needs to come in and like you know you know change it up a bit so mate is kind of like the english equivalent to california dude yes yes nice it's do, less... do you ever like call your faucet mate yeah 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 inanimate objects can be mate and other thing i think it's less gender fluid yeah but um you can still call a female mate but it it like isn't as common but if yeah. he did it wouldn't it wouldn't be like that's weird that he just called her a mate like yeah, it like it wouldn't be yeah it would it'd be fine but it yeah. just isn't done as often as dude is literally just anything that yeah, that, yeah. That anything every everything can be dude so so quick aside if you haven't noticed we don't have a particular intro for this episode <laughs> so we're just kind of going <laughs> yeah i had intentions but life um got in the way i guess i don't know it was her turn (laughs) she dropped the ball (laughs) oh oh i love you (laughs) i'll see myself out i was gonna write really good i just imagine that i wrote a really good um folklore inspired intro and then compliment me anyway yeah yeah that was awesome. I spent a lot of time on that. Thank you very much. Beautiful. I can't, I could not have done it that well. That was great. Awesome. Sweet. <laughs> so, uh, do we have any updates? I don't. Know. Uh, uh, no, we're still um, coming towards our one year anniversary. It's coming up very soon. And we're still working on the website and we're still working on things like that. So, I think it's pretty much the same as last week, but that you know still in progress yeah yeah we're watching it happen and it's actually really exciting i'm so excited (laughs) there was discussions about seeing if we could find a um like a stock photo of a bunch of zombies in a conference call and we're gonna make it happen oh yeah I, i found a picture of a long table with a zombie at it but it's not quite not quite the same so. No, we we need like a proper zombie conference. So if there's <laughs> any artists out there who want to just like drop a picture of zombies on a conference call, uh, yeah, we'd we'd appreciate that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Anyway, so let's move on to our thing, right? Yeah. First or should I? Hey, I thought I was emceeing this episode, Melanie. Sorry, we'll edit that out. You go. <laughs> no. You made your bed. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, I'll, th- I'll I'll throw a thing at you. Um, can I ask you for some advice on something? Yes, please. I have been given the opportunity to not do an assignment for my university course and still get a first, like an A, yeah. on the assignment because of the circumstances around why I haven't completed the assignment yet combined with the university closing um, due to COVID-19 there is a policy put in place where you if you fell so far behind that you 
are finding yourself still doing assignments during the summer, that you can take a projected grade. And because I have an average A or a first, my projected my my predicted grade, if you will, is a first, is a is an A. Yeah. And I can choose to take that A and put it in my pocket and move on and graduate my third year without finishing the assignment. It's a big assignment. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a rite of passage assignment. Got it. And though it would relieve a lot of stress, I would then feel like I didn't quite earn yeah. my next year. So my my I've written a pros and cons list. This is not for the um, uh, <laughs> yeah. listeners, but for Melanie's help of judgment. So this is my my like pros and cons list and as you can see they are about the same length so that's me not doing sorry that's me doing the assignment that's me not doing the assignment there's one more on no on the back yeah um i went and i'm i've i've bounced it back and forth a few times (sighs) do you think that i should ask to be assessed and do the assignment anyway and spend the summer doing the assignment as well as the internship which is a full-time job Mm. or do you think that I should take the grade and use the the data and the research that I've already done for a bigger like more blinky fancy version of it next year but not waste the research that I've done. Hmm. That is a very good question because my, my gut wants to, it wants to say it like I say, take, take the grade, right. And work on this project anyway and finish it just as a matter of pride and just a matter of self-fulfillment. Um, knowing that no matter what you've, you got it, you know what I mean? Um, so because I know how, how we both can get like mental health wise and you're going to be working uh, throughout the summer and doing all this fun stuff. And it's just been kind of a rough year. Um, I know that none of us are going to sit there and be like, well, you took the lazy way out. Mm. You know, we, we want you to do what's best for you. You already fucking, you're killing it there. So I say, take the grade, but either, yeah, either hold on to that research and do like a better or, or a bigger version of that um or take the grade and then just do the project anyway and maybe hand it into them and be like you know what just in case here's this just as like extra credit you just to know that i didn't totally give up but I, I wasn't sure that i could finish it so i i wanted to just take that as an option and still try and finish it anyway well there is actually a um an aside that i didn't um say that would be relevant to this particular way that you're solving the problem is that if I decide that I want to do the assignment they will not dock me any points less than they've already given me in my projected grade so they thought that I was going to get an A uh, at a certain level because it's really hard because in in basically in in British system there's like grades are like completely different to a b c d yeah so 
imagine that not only can you get an A, but you can get an A star and an A star star kind of yeah. thing. Um, but you can also get a B and a B star and a C and a C star, but you can't get a D. You can only get an F. Got it. Right. So I'm at right now. I'm at uh, the mark that they gave me is A star. Nice. So I could. This is I'm making it up just to make it relevant for America. Yeah, yeah. Make it understandable. Yeah, uh, I I would say it's probably between an A and an A star, or for my for British listeners, it's a seventy four. Um, I could earn an A eighty. I have often earned eighties, and you can earn up to a ninety. I mean, it's not unheard of for people to get hundreds, but those people are fucking psychopaths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know any of them, but I've heard of people getting in the nineties. But I think that I was aiming for an eighty. <laughs> If I decided to do the assignment and ask them to assess me, they could give me no less than a 74, no matter how shitty I did. So I could literally hand in a failing paper and they could only give me a 74 for it, which is why I'm somewhat tempted to do it. Just so that, like you said, I feel like I've got it. I've got I've done it. I've done it. Even if it was shit. But at the same time, that would mean that I would actually have to do it and I would have to do it in six weeks at the same time that I'm doing my internship, which is taking up 36 hours of my day, of my, my week. Mm. Mm. And evenings when I'm reading. Yeah. Darling. It's hard, isn't it? I yeah. this, I've been, I've known for a week now that I have had this choice and I cannot, I keep teetering back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and back and forth. Yeah. It's a really hard decision because I don't want to take something. I don't want to take a grade when I haven't earned it. But then at the same time, I have earned it by you being a first it. class student for three years straight. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I say take the grade. And then if you feel moved to do it just for your own, you know, your own fucking, well, that, that feeling of, of satisfaction and accomplishment, do it. Because then you're going to be less you'll probably be less likely to put it off if you're doing it for the sake of your own self versus might, for, for school. I might do a mini version of it. So like, yeah, I'll take the, I'll take the grade. And then after I'm done with my internship, I'll have a month before uni starts again. And I'll do like a light version of it. Yeah. Like I, I won't, I won't give myself, I won't have to write 10,000 words. Um, I can write however many words come out of my mouth but still do do something with it because I spent like I spent a lot of time prepping for this and gathering yeah. data together I want to do something with it maybe just do a research project rather than a huge thing but yeah just so that the information's put down in some kind of way but then I can also choose not to and paint instead exactly exactly the pressure's the pressure on and that way if you do do it just for the fuck of it you'll be like yeah, I did that one. I didn't even have to. I'm awesome. I wonder if I could trouble one of my tutors to give it a read and be like, what would you have given this? Just out there of you go. Validate <laughs> me. <laughs> if, they say, if they say, this is you not putting very much effort in, this is you just doing it in order to tick boxes, and I'll say, yeah. Um, okay, well then, here's your mark, kind of thing. Like, I wonder, I bet you someone would read it and give me like a, oh, that's about a 60, or something like that. Which, by the way, 60 is the worst mark I've ever gotten, and I was devastated. <laughs> devastated. 
it hasn't affected my overall grade because I like countered it with my very next assignment getting an 80 which is like it's like going from having getting a d to an a within um, like assignments of each other that's awesome to be honest with you I didn't really do that much different so I don't know what I did wrong with that (laughs) (laughs) actually and it wasn't a 60 it was a 62 sorry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wish you understood the system it took me ages to understand it because I kept I couldn't get it out of my head that a 70 grade was a C yeah yeah um but it's an A so it's like but there's also A's that are better than the A's before and A's that are even better than that but it's still an A yeah, you guys just gotta complicate shit over there A, B, C, D and F it's it's because it's like they like I don't, I don't quite know how where it comes from but basically it means that you're very very good at what you're doing is where this level is so we don't really ask that much more that, from you than this this is great but if you want to push yourself there's more there's scope to to do that yeah so it's to stop people from like if you will hitting a ceiling I guess and going well I won't get any better yeah because I'm already getting A's you know, I don't know, because you've done the effort that you need to get the A, but then they're just saying they're encouraging you to, like, just do a little bit better each and every time. Because if you run out of scope to do better, then you're going to, like, Stop you're going to lose motivation, yeah, to do better. Because yeah. you're like, what's the matter, what's the point of me doing even better on my next assignment when I'll just get the same grade? Because it maxes out. Yeah. I guess that's the idea i used to stop people from getting disheartened when they don't quite do amazingly but they still do really well which is me i (laughs) (laughs) i aim for an 80 for everything that i do yeah which is like an a star so when i get an a i can sometimes be quite emotionally upset and like (laughs) (laughs) But if I, heaven forbid, I get less than a 70, then it's like time for me to go look at the sea while I listen to bloody Elliot Smith. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> well, we know you're awesome. You're going to kill it. And you're going to just, you know, yeah, just do it for you. And when you do it for you, you'll, you'll, there's, there's just less overall pressure. There's less of that gut pressure, you know? You know how there's a trick to seeing how somebody feels about something by just like making a snap decision, like like telling them what they should do and seeing how they feel about being told to do that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you just told me, then do it, do it, do it, see what happens, do it. And I was like, no, I don't want to. So <laughs> the fact that, like literally, that you convinced me that that's what you thought was best for me. So my gut then had my 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 gut had the opportunity to actually be honest without yeah, yeah. my head getting in the way, and my gut was going no. No. <laughs> no, you've got yeah. an out. Yeah, <laughs> take, take it. the out. Take the out. <laughs> so maybe that is the decision that I made. It's funny because we were just talking about how you don't watch Friends, and that's the thing that happens in Friends, and I can't tell you about it because you don't watch Friends. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's yeah, there's an... a lot of Friends references, references that just kind of go over my head. For listeners, it's the episode where Phoebe tricks Rachel into believing that she's not pregnant when she is pregnant so that Rachel knows exactly how she feels about being pregnant. It's really fucking cruel and it was really fucking risky. And if my friend actually did that to me, I probably would stop being her friend. But in Friends, it's funny. (laughs) And sweet. Nice. Nice. Anyway, that was a very 
long thing. Do you have a thing? <laughs> my my thing is very short. Um, uh, it was an article I read this morning <clears throat> that made me happy. And oh. I don't know why it made me happy, but it really made me happy. Those are rare these days. Yeah. Scientists sort of... Uh, um, I'm, I'm just kind of summing up in a very vague way. Um, but scientists, through science and calculations and whatnot, have found that it is very likely that there are at least 36 intelligent species of life in the Milky Way. Woohoo! Yeah, that made me happy. I was like, neat. You know, they obviously, they can't make those kinds of, uh, they haven't been able to prove any of it, but they're like, statistically, because of how long this planet has been in existence, because of the certain conditions within it, um, uh, there's very likely at least 36 conscious, sentient life forms in the Milky Way. And I think that's rad. So they're saying sentient and like self-aware. Yeah. That's that's a that's a big claim. Yeah. So interesting. I hope that they do some kind of approachable and inclusive documentary about it so that I can watch it on the television. <laughs> I'll be asked was... reading about shit like that at the moment because my head goes, Aah! Yeah, yeah. I think it was just like people entering data into computers and they're all like, Well, you know, it matches up this much to it... to this. <laughs> But Is it, it was statistical likenesses, likeness, like statistical likeliness. Sorry. Or is it based on like, I don't know. I guess I'd have to read the bloody study, wouldn't I, to find yeah, out? Yeah. I'll find the article. It was actually really fascinating. It was like, I woke up and I put it on my Facebook and I saw this article. Ah, cool man <laughs> that is cool but the problem with me is that when i read articles like about studies yeah i have to go read the study because a lot of the time the articles will have kind of skimmed the bits that they want to skim and hem- emphasize the bit they want to emphasize Absolutely. so i like i'm i although i like i i don't think that you know that's but it's just that i always think oh god what bit are they not telling us like yeah yeah they were going into like um you know the the likelihood because our planet had been around for so and so many years before we were conscious Mm -hmm. enough to to uh you know form our relationships and build our societies and build our to where we are now it took us quite a long time so they're basing that on on planets that have lived around uh have been in existence for that long, if not longer, that have sort of, um, uh, th- there was, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that went into it. I'll find the article and I'll elaborate on it more, but it was, it was really, it was fun. And I'm all about aliens. Cause I feel like that it is just completely impossible that we are the only like advanced sentient life form in the universe. That makes no sense to me at all. So I'm all about it. No, it's very, it's unlikely that that is the case. Yeah. Um, I just, I just wonder if we're smart enough to find the other life because life doesn't necessarily have to sort of have the same like characteristics. I'm poking myself for those of you who can't see, but like, yeah, like, the fleshy, know, the fleshiness. Yeah. The, the yeah. like realness that we perceive as real, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be in that form, which is kind of a big concept to discuss when you're not stoned, but 
Um, it comes idea... a lot easier if you're stoned, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it was perfect. But I guess Futurama kind of tackles that when I think Leela dates a nebula or something like that. It's like like a yeah. piece of energy. So it's like this idea that not all life is going to be flesh and blood and physical. Like there's going to be some kind of like a Star Trek does it too. Yes, it do. All the time, there are life forms that take on physical appearance in order to communicate with our physical selves, but they actually don't have a physical body. Q consciousness. Q doesn't have a physical body. Yeah, he's hot. Melanie likes Q. He's so hot. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's his forehead or what, but (laughs) (laughs) I got something about Q. He does it for me. (laughs) He just likes sassy things and sassy people. This is 100% true. Yes. I'm just going to sit here and get fat and sassy. <laughs> get fat and sassy. All right. Yeah. So let's take move a in. breath. Let's take a deep breath. We're going to breathe in the opportunities and, and not having to work our butts off when we can actually just be awesome as we are. And uh, and possible uh, life forms in space. And we'll breathe out all the other negative crap. Ready? One, two, three. I love how you articulated what we were breathing in really well, like specifically and named yeah. things. And then when you said the exhales, like, oh, the negative crap. Any <laughs> negative crap. Any and all negative crap you got going on in you, chuck it out. Self-doubt, guilt, shame, all yeah. get rid of it. Yeah. Breathe in the productivity and, and light. So. All right. You probably don't know what our topic is unless you read the title of the podcast and or listened to our previous podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we gave no hints this time. We didn't. I may have mentioned it once, but, you know, ear blinker, you'd miss it. Um, so our topic this week is folk stories about the devil. And folk stories are a very specific breed of storytelling. And so, um, instead of doing a brief summary of the topic, like, we usually have like some definition and background at the beginning of our episodes. I've decided that I'm going to use my time to describe what folklore actually is, what the difference is between folk stories and fairy tales and legends and myths, for example, what singles something out as a folk story? What are the rules? Are there any? So my time is going to be taken up by giving you a little bit of a um, an education on folklore, but it's written like a love, sort of like a love letter. Letter, yeah. It's, I have a fondness for folklore because it is very closely tied to archaeology, and the reason for that will come clear because although I'm going to be sentimental about folklore, I am still going to stay true to myself, and I have a case study at the end of the nice of the spiel so i'm gonna take you on a journey hopefully where you're gonna fall in love with folklore too and then i'm gonna tell you about a particular story and how that relates to my 
career and the my passion in archaeology with a with a an example from somewhere that I worked last summer and fell in love with as well. Okay. So what is folklore? Well, like most things, it's complicated. There are lots of different ways different scholars and followers define folklore. And the root of the word itself is an amalgam of multiple cultures and languages. Each set of people who study folklore will inevitably project their own opinions and biases onto their definitions, and every individual will interpret and understand it to mean vastly different things. Anthropologists might regard folklore as a type of literature, whereas scholars of literature would define it as a type of culture. Folklorists themselves even try to define it, but it's difficult to encapsulate all the threads that make up folklore in one unifying definition. The language, locality, customs, jokes, myths, gestures, legends, costumes and music all contribute to the phenomenon of folklore. Some might even argue that the age of the story or song is relevant, that it cannot be folklore without antiquity, or that the origin must be mysterious and anonymous, but shared by a specific collection of people in a specific location. That the age of the song or story indicates its place in history and its association with particular people defines it socially. I keep mentioning that folklore can also be a song, as it often is the case. Folkloric tales are oftentimes oral tales performed by groups or by individuals in a particular fashion, and more often than not are performed musically. It doesn't have to be sung to be a song either, and there doesn't have to be an instrument to make it musical, but it is built into its framework and unescapable. It is because of this musicality and performance that folklores that folklore can cross cultures and transcend language barriers. You don't need to understand the words to understand the movements and gestures. Cultural context not required, personal interpretations guaranteed. So I've done a whole lot of talking around the subject, but I haven't actually provided a set of criteria to help you understand what exactly folklore is. I suppose it's the academic in me who wants to point out first and foremost that there is no one clear answer to that question. So don't hold me responsible. You've got to read around the subject more until you get the gist and form your own thoughts. And that's what's important, your personal takeaway. So here's mine. To me, after reading about folklore for years and reading actual stories and living in a country which values it in popular culture, folklore is an identity. Folklore itself has etiquette to follow and traditions to respect, and the people who not only perform but experience it have certain obligations. At its heart, it is oral, performative and experienced, but of course it can be written down and read like a fairy tale. But unlike a fairy tale, a piece of folklore has an arrangement of social implications surrounding it. There are references to particular customs, beliefs, attitudes and other folklore stories that it exists in a specific place and at a specific time as if it was history. It sets out to explain the unexplainable or make fantastic the mundane and everyday. It is referenced and cross-referenced in other parts of life from the grocery store to the hilltop. People are exposed to it, share it, understand it, all together in a community and oftentimes people outside of those communities wouldn't get the references. It is not a lonely kind of storytelling. It is inclusive and welcoming. 
It has lessons to teach and imaginations to inspire. It is a living, breathing, singing, dancing art form which transforms itself to suit each generation and yet is able to keep itself pure and ancient. Folklore is different because it asks for you to play along, to dance along and to believe it. Folklore is fun as Mel is meant to warn, scare, caution, control and teach. It also has lots of stuff that I would call material culture, where other types of storytelling does not. Folklore has dolls, costumes, objects of symbolic value and places that are real. And this is really important. The places can be visited and be experienced. It is real because it exists in the real world. So folklore, unlike literature, can actually be lived and experienced. And that's what I think makes folklore so special. It really yeah. is an identity. It is a whole series of places, faces, spaces and things all being performed, experienced, interpreted and repeated. We identify with folklore because it is real to us. At least when I hear a properly formed piece of folklore danced by mummers or sung by choirs, I feel very connected. And I feel like I'm part of some group who know how to connect with each other and with the past. Yeah. So that was that was my sentimental love 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 letter to folklore. That was lovely. I felt the love. <laughs> I did. It's very, very rare that I get that way about things. So, because I know that it can kind of, uh, it can, can, it can make people misconstrue my, like, professionality, I suppose. If I mm. expose that I'm kind of daftly lovely. Yeah. Especially when I kind of tell you about, like, the, the next part of it, which is my, um, my case study. Yeah. Uh, like, if people knew how like into it I was beforehand like I, I don't know I just don't think you have like the same level of respect I don't know maybe not I don't know I don't know maybe it's just me being a snob I don't know <laughs> um but yeah it's uh yeah that was do you do you think you get it yeah yeah absolutely absolutely cool. Cool. and yeah I, I like the the <clears throat> the aspect of it being something someplace that you can visit or see a relic of or you know it, it is it's just something that we as a society as human beings can dig our fingers into whereas fairy tales are are different they take place on another version of reality and many other stories that take place on another version of our reality whereas these are fantastical tales that take place in our realm like yes. on our plane yeah it's um some stories kind of cross into multiple genres which is why it's kind of hard to kind of give it one overarching theme but you kind of nailed that in terms of uh, like broadly speaking and that's like the only way we can really define it is broadly speaking because yeah. let's take for example the the tale of king arthur now that kind of falls into all the categories of myth legend yeah um folk story and fairy tale so it, it kind of crosses over into these multiple areas because arthurian legend might cross over into folklore in places where you can actually find 
the supposed places these things are are meant yeah, to have yeah. occurred. And it's entirely possible that it started as folklore, which meant that the people that were telling the stories would actually be talking about specific places, but it's been lost to time. And now it's become a myth or a legend because we don't know quite where the people were talking about because it's also spread across all of Britain. And the thing about folklore is that it's very concentrated in very particular places. And once it starts to sort of spread out bigger than the community it was meant to be in, it starts to lose not only context, but then it starts getting put in different places. And so it gets looser and looser and looser. So the story that I talk about um, in my case study is a very specific, very specific place in the countryside near me that if it were to move to another part of the world other people or another part of the country people could manipulate the story to change it to make it suit their landscape yeah and obviously that's happened a million times with other stories and that's how something gets detached from its its origins and becomes more of a fairy tale or a myth or a legend because you don't know where it actually originated from anymore yeah but because we have some kind of written account of this particular story before it had a chance to i mean i th- i'm i think that it's the original story <laughs> um it it it, it it, it seems like it would be the original story but i'm saying that and i'm kind of talking myself into this um paradox where i'm thinking actually i think that this is the origin of this story but what if it's not what if it actually originated in scotland and yes well but and there's also right here (laughs) but there's also you know there's so many stories that um are so particularly like with with this topic in particular you can have this same kind of story happening in a bunch of different places Mm -hmm. and the the overall tone of it is very very similar um, but it's they're still going, no, no, this happened here. Here. They name a place. Yeah. Yeah. So that you can go to that place and go, yeah. So while we're on that subject of naming the, the place, I'll talk about the legend that I'm going to give you yeah. as my history. Last summer, I spent a lot of time, well, I, I interned for the uh, Pendle Hill Landscape Partnership. And I worked around Pendle Hill. And Pendle Hill is famous for the witches, for the Pendle Witch, it's in the Pendle Witch Trials. And we've gone into that, and don't worry, I won't go into it again this time. <laughs> but the landscape of Pendle has a lot of folklore, and it's an ancient landscape, and it has a lot of not only uh, historical history, if you will, written records, but it stretches back in time to the Bronze Age in terms of sites around Pendle. And there's reason to believe that there's prehis so that there's um Neolithic sites as well, but not there's not that much. So we'll just say that sort of we think we <laughs> settlement seems to start in the late Bronze Age. Got it. Um there is evidence in some places of Neolithic, which is Stone Age Neolithic settlement, but it's very, very, very like few and far between. Yeah, sparse. And just to put a little thing into context, Pendle Hill has a lot of uh, sites on and around it because it is, Pendle Hill is, Google it, it is honestly, you'll think, how can the hill be pretty? This hill is pretty. (laughs) It's a really (laughs) nice hill. 
is That's a it, good hill you got it there. It is a good, it is a sexy hill. A Y'all going to love hill. it. <laughs> Just Google Pendle Hill is hot. So, <laughs> um, there's going to be a lot of romantic, sentimental feelings about this hill because it's very emotive. You look at it in under different weather circumstances and it is like, ah, I love it. So I'll start with the story. Now, unfortunately, the only story that I can find is being described by archaeologists and by historians. I can't actually find the story itself, but that's okay because I'm just going to tell you why it's important and why it's relevant to archaeology. So the story goes, as they say, that the devil was coming with an apron full of stones for the purpose of knocking down Clitheroe Castle. He was coming from Accrington Way. Don't know why. He stepped from Hambleton to a large block of sandstone lying on Crag's farm above Sebden. From here, he stepped to the apronful hill above Wellsprings, leaving footprints on the stones at Crag's farm. Being now in sight of Clitheroe Castle, he took one of the stones he was carrying and flung it towards the castle. But just then his brat string broke and all the remaining stones fell to the ground, where they still lie just as they fell. The stone he threw fell short of the castle and landed near the church in Pendleton. Now, all those places are real places and they are all places in and around Pendle and Pendle Hill. Just and a it's stone's called throw away. A stone's throw away, exactly. And this is known as the Pendleton legend. Why is that relevant to archaeology? Well, all of those places that I mentioned are archaeological sites that parallel the story. Hambleton, which is mentioned in the story. Yeah, yeah, there was. Right, so he starts at Hambleton and that's how he, he, he walks up to the hill where he leaves his footprints. There's lithic evidence indicating that there was a Neolithic settlement on the slopes and terraces of this hill, and there's a rich there's ritual burial evidence that might be present. So Hambledon, um, Hambledon is a one of the very few rare Neolithic sites. Crags Farm, amongst the boulders at Deerstones above Crags Farm, is one bearing the two footprints mentioned in the legend. Footprints of this kind occur amongst the prehistoric rock engravings of Scandinavia and few are found in Scotland. So on Crags Farm, there is a stone with what appears to be um, like hoofed footprints. Nice. The apronful, a roughly circular spread of stones mentioned in the story as the stones that he dropped, which... Is the it says in this maybe, but we know now that it is because this is from 1994 and it's since been confirmed. It is the remains of a carn, uh, which is an, a type of Bronze Age burial site, and it overlooks Pendleton and Clitheroe. The name Apronful, or one of its forms, is found associated with several Neolithic or Bronze Age ritual burial sites, and these names and legends concerning apronfuls of stones carried by giants or giantesses deposited deposited by the breaking of the strings are mostly confined to northwest to the northwest. So here, linking traditions in Ireland, Wales, and Northern Britain. So that's basically saying that because maybe because people didn't know what they were, they started calling them 
these piles, apronfuls, which is where giants, giantesses, or devils or demons dropped their flinging stones. That's awesome. And if you've ever seen a carn, that is properly what they look like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Pendleton mentioned as the place that the stone landed on its way to Clitheroe Castle. At one time, there was a stone bearing the imprint of the devil's fingers between the church, uh, sorry, near the church, described as similar to the stone of a clapper bridge. But unfortunately, it's no longer there. It may have been a standing stone with cut marks. So this is speculative. By the time archaeologists came along, the stone was gone. However, the discovery of the ritual burial site at Carrier's Croft, I hate the word ritual, but we're just going to leave it in. However, the discovery of the ritual burial site at Carrier's Croft now affirms Pendleton's connection with the Bronze Age. So basically, it's pretty likely that, the, the like, yes, it is. It, there's the circumstances surrounding Pendleton's history for there to have possibly been a Bronze Age standing stone with cut marks. And those cut marks might have looked like where like someone has hold, claw, yeah, marks. Exactly, claw marks on a stone. And that's where his stone was meant to have fallen short of Clitheroe Castle. And Clitheroe Castle itself, that it's specula- speculated that there was probably a Bronze Age burial site there um, or some kind of important ritual place on the hill before the castle was built. Um, this assumption is based on the presence of uh, one at Warsai Hill near Downham, which is um, a stone's throw away. Downham <laughs> is a beautiful, beautiful village. And if I could afford it, I would live there. It is gorgeous. Nice. So all the places mentioned in the story actually have physical evidence. So if you nice. were to follow the story across the landscape, you would find the evidence of this story. You'd be watching that story. Exactly. So the prehistoric associations of these places and parallels with similar situations elsewhere make it clear that the legend and its associated sites had their origins in the Neolithic or Bronze Age times and may even have been the focal point of pagan acts of worship. The existence of this legend for over 4,000 years bears witness to the remarkable fact that there was continuity of settlement for that length of time and by implication, continuity of some elements of its prehistoric culture. So it's, 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 it, what's it, what's the phrase? It's, it's value is more than the sum of all of its parts. Mm-hmm. In that it implies quite a lot of social shit. Yeah. Um, that archaeologists can really get their fingers into. Um, I am planning on posting some pictures for you guys on the social medias when we post this because they are not like things that you can Google. <laughs> um, oh, I suppose you could because people, tourists, have taken pictures. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put up the like the pictures, pictures. That are, yeah. <laughs> You say that, but they're actually really shitty pictures from the 90s. So actually, somebody who's like taking a picture with their phone, it's probably a better quality picture. <laughs> it's like one of those little disposable cameras. I was going to talk about the sort of root of this, the story that they're going off of. And I had some things about... Um... Do you want me to go a little bit more in depth? Or do you think that that's enough? Because yeah, I have more, more about... Okay. <clears throat> go ahead, because I have more basically um let's talk about the devil's footprint on crags farm 
there really is this weird stone with these two prints in them that look like hoofs. However, let me read this excerpt. On Crack's farm near Sebden, on the sloping side of Pendle, is a mass of sandstone rocks that have fallen down from the scar above. On one of these big stones are two marks side by side, about two foot by six inches long and about six inches wide. They certainly resemble gigantic footmarks and are said to be the devil's. Old scrap. However, I don't know why you would call it the devil's old scrap, but if you know, please write it. <laughs> However, when he alighted upon the stone, I don't know who he's talking about. Oh, when the devil alighted upon the stone, he must have crossed his legs. As the left footprint is on the right side and the right footprint is on the left. Well, we all know the devil's a sassy bitch, so that's... Hold on. Okay. (laughs) No, he's also sassy, but but the outline of one foot is perfect while the other is ill-formed, which, again, is easily explained... Because as we all know, the devil has a club foot. Ooh. <laughs> Apparently the devil has a club foot. This is it's well known that the devil devil has a club foot. I didn't know until I read that sentence that apparently the devil has a club foot. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> so, awesome. Um yeah, so yeah, the two depressions side by side are roughly about two foot by six inches long and six inches wide at their widest part. And viewed from the south, the left hand footprint has the shape of a large right foot, but the other is irregular in shape and is not convincing as a left hand foot. In times past, initials have been carved onto the rock face within the footprints themselves, and it is difficult to see how much their shape has altered. Um, particularly the right-hand one by visitors or weathering. So it's actually hard to really talk about what the shape of it would have originally looked like to the people that were telling the story because it's kind yeah. of basically it's old and it's got fucked up over the over the years. So again, at Apronful Hill, it's called Apronful Hill because of the legend of, of the Pendleton legend. The 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 name um is older than the uh knowledge of what's the place names are really important in archaeology because the place names are often rooted in very ancient places and the cool thing about this one is that apronful hill might be like bronze age so and it really is there just off the summit overlooking pendleton there's a circular spread of stones uh which um which to this day is the traditional spot where the devil dropped his um brat full of stones and uh, in when this story, when this particular source was written, they hadn't excavated or d- there wasn't very much information about it. But I can tell you that since then it has been investigated and confirmed as a Bronze Age carn. Yeah. So basically, the the, this, the 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 thing that I'm reading from goes on to the they they actually like go to all the places on that list. So the next place that they go to is Hambleton to look at for the stones. Uh, the stone, sorry, that fell short of um, Clitheroe Castle. Yeah. Um, and there's like they find evidence that uh, that describes it. Uh, the church used to talk about it in its records. Like it was definitely there. Uh, there aren't very good descriptions of them, very clear descriptions of it. But it does seem from what they were they managed to gather in this that it would it sounds an awful lot like a standing stone that you usually see in stone circles 
Yeah. And particularly in the northwest of England, there tends to be a lot of um, cup and ring marks and, and carvings on the stones. So it's not that unusual for you to find around our landscape, maybe one stone left with some bits kind of out of it. Yeah. Um, nobody really knows what happened to the stone. There's no record of that. But as what happens all over the country, people just take valuable just take big yeah. stones that <clears throat> I need to build my house. Like, I'm going to take this. Yoink. So there's not been a record of it for a couple hundred years. So uh, at least the uh, 19th century. Uh, well, in 1905, um, somebody said, used the quote a stone recently stood so even in 1905 it had been gone but gone. maybe not that long so maybe it had happened in sort of the late 19th century um funnily enough though there was a burial urn and a couple of bronze age burials found near the town of pendleton so there's still bronze age sites there. so it's sounding an awful lot like pendle is a uh ritual landscape how they like to call it yeah Right, okay, so Clitheroe Castle, the object of the Devil's Attack, occupies the summit of a limestone knoll in the centre of Clitheroe. Oh, it's awesome, I've been many times. Built in the 11th century and slighted during 1644, the castle is reputed to be one of the smallest in England, serving the honour of Clitheroe as a garrison jail and residence. The part of the legend telling of the devil throwing stones at the castle can be regarded as the medieval interpretation of earlier events. There is now little chance of establishing the presence of any pre-castle features on this hill. It is possible that a Bronze Age ritual burial site could have stood there, like the round barrow on the summit of Warsaw Hill, overlooking Downham. They kind of repeat themselves there. Furthermore, this possibility is supported by the fact that ritual burial sites have been discovered in other local places, such as Waddington, Ribchester, Pendleton and Chipping. Now, these are all places that I spent a lot of time in last summer. And um, I've seen the stones... Um, I've not been up Pendle Hill because I'm a lazy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Pendle Hill, y'all, is beautiful, but it's also very steep. Um, <laughs> so I haven't bothered. But it's it's just really cool because I know where all those places are. And if you wanted to, I could take you there. And I could nice. be like, that's where the devil stood. And that's where the devil threw his stone and it missed. Because he's really shit shot. No, because he's, he's, what did it call? Brat? Brat string? Yeah. Yeah. Broke. His sack broke. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's cool to think that somebody along the line, like, at some point, it it turned from being, like, a Bronze Age story and then got given, like, medieval terms and medieval things, you know, but maybe kept some of it so the apron full was kept, but Clitheroe was changed to Clitheroe, you know, like, whatever was yeah. there before Clitheroe Castle, which is lost to history. And it might not have even, I mean, I don't know. It's cool to think of the possibilities, but I just like the idea that somebody in the medieval era, if you will, said, well, let's, that must mean Clitheroe Castle. That yeah. must mean where that is. Yeah, we yeah. have to start calling it Clitheroe Castle now because the place that that legend refers to isn't there anymore and no one will know what we're talking about. So we need to call it Clitheroe Castle so people know what we're talking about. It's like you can't keep calling the empty lot at the end of the road the empty lot if there's a walmart there now 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, that's how, like, that's super local, super short story. 4,000 years old, possibly. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> so, and the defense rests. <laughs> Very cool. So I got a couple stories. Um, I know that my my task was American tales, but there was one that I couldn't not bring up, and it's not American. We don't know where the origins of it are. Uh, it's believed that it might be German, but the roots of this story, this is said to be the oldest folk tale about the devil ever told. Now, there's there's there's... There's differing thoughts on it, but they're, they're scientists. What do they call it? Hold on. I have a, I've got a bit. This tale was originally collected by Jean-Baptiste Basile in Locanto de Locanti in 1634. Then the Brothers Grimm in their children and household tales published in 1812 and 1815. But according to research, applying phylogenetic, which is the study of history of evolution in certain races, species, or attributes, but the phylogenetic techniques to linguistics by folklorist Sarah Grassa da Silva and anthropologist Jamie Tarani, the Smith and the Devil, which is the story I'm about to tell you, may be one of the oldest European folk tales, with the basic plot stable throughout the Indo-European-speaking world from India to Scandinavia, possibly being first told in Indo-European 6,000 years ago in the Bronze Age. This does involve a blacksmith, which obviously wasn't so much a thing. And the, 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 the phrasing was different, so there, there are debates there, but the story, the, the plot of it, would have been told from that far back. By the way, just a little interjection. The European Bronze Age occurs earlier than the British Bronze Age because we were a little slow on the uptake. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so, um, this one... Now, when it comes to folklore, me and Danielle were kind of talking about this before we started recording. A lot of the time when you're looking into folkloric tales, um, you're going to find just sort of one paragraph summations of the story. Um, or you'll find somebody else's rewriting of it. And I don't want to read you somebody else's thing. So I kind of wrote, based on the like 20 different versions of the story that I've read, plus the one that I already know, and, and wrote this for you as a story. So sit down and enjoy. There was once a pious blacksmith, a good, honorable, hardworking man. One night he gladly and cheerfully provided lodging to a holy man. The next day before he left, he told the blacksmith, you've been so kind to me. I'll give you three wishes. Nice. Go on, genie, holy man. So the blacksmith asks for one, that his favorite chair by the oven call to it any and all uninvited guests and hold them trapped until the blacksmith sets them free. Two, that his apple tree in the garden hold and trap anyone who climbs into it until he lets them free. And three, a sack that he used for coal to be able to retain anyone or anything inside of it until he lets them free. For an apparently good man, he surely wasn't very trusting. After some time had passed and his time had come, death comes to visit the blacksmith. But as he is an uninvited guest, he immediately appears at the chair by the oven. The blacksmith tells death that he will let him go if, if death can give him 10 more years of life. Death agrees and is let go. Well, 10 years come and go and death returns. But he is expected this time, so he isn't shot straight to the chair but he is still wary. So before getting too close to the house, he climbs the nearby apple tree to get a look at the blacksmith and check his demeanor. Well, he climbs up and watches as the blacksmith and half a dozen apprentices approach the tree with large poles. 
He tries to climb down, but he's trapped in the branches. The apprentices beat death to within an inch of his, well, not life, he's death, but they beat him until he grants the blacksmith eternal life. The blacksmith sets him free and death sadly departs, his arms and legs lame from the terrible beating he just received. As he makes his way through the forest, death runs into the devil. Whoa, death, you look terrible. What happened to you? He tells the devil of his 10-year interaction with a terrible blacksmith and his many tricks. Don't worry, death, I'll get this guy for you. So the devil comes to the blacksmith's home in robes and begs for a place to stay. The blacksmith ain't buying it. Sorry, sir, I have no room for you tonight, he tells the old man. Well, if he isn't going to open the door, I'll just have to go through it, thinks the devil. And he shrinks himself down to, the, to a size small enough to squeeze through the keyhole. But the blacksmith is waiting on the other side of the door with his sack. When the devil climbs through the keyhole, the blacksmith swoops him up in the bag, ties it shut, and has his apprentices beat on the sack with hammers upon the anvil for hours. Eventually, the blacksmith lets him go. Let that be a warning for you, devil. And he shoves his broken and beaten body back through the keyhole. Eventually, after hundreds of years, the blacksmith gets tired of living on Earth, watching all of his loved ones live and pass away. And he makes his way to the pearly gates of heaven. I have been a good man on earth for many hundreds of years. I am tired. May I finally be able to die and be with you in heaven? St. Peter tells him, well, you brutalized death. He may have seemed scary, but he's always been part of our team. All the good you've done on earth can't undo the damage you've done. And he was refused entry. So the blacksmith makes his way down to hell. Devil, he cries up the wall. I'm exhausted with living and heaven won't take me. I must be a terribly evil soul. Please end my life and take it. But the devil has been made a fool and is not known for being forgiving. Hell no, he shrieks at the blacksmith. So the blacksmith is said to wander the earth still, stuck between heaven and hell, his spirit broken with the weight of centuries, lonely and sad. Dude, have you told me that story before? So my favorite version of this story was actually told on Jim Henson's fairy tale. called It's called The Soldier and Death. And it yes! is... The best, the best story. It's a, this story, The Soldier and Death, is a Russian story. It's a Russian folktale. And it's my fucking favorite. I love it. Um, so, so it yeah. you. No, you probably got it from Jim Henson. Because <laughs> it's so familiar. Especially since, like, my reaction is, like, there was, there's one really, really similar one where I was like, oh, the poor devil. Like, the devil was just trying to do his job and he got yeah. treated like shit. Um. It's like a variation of that, where the devil gets tricked, and Mm -hmm. then the actual, the moral of the story is the dude wants to die and he can't, so he has to constantly wander the earth. So in the story, it's not so much, he doesn't trick the devil, he gets a devil to do his bidding, but what he does is he uh, tricks death and hangs him from a sack on a tree so that nobody can die. And Mm. suddenly wars are going and nobody's falling. And people are sick and they're so sick and they just want to die. They don't want to be like this anymore, but they can't. So eventually he lets death go and people can die, but death is not coming back for him. Death doesn't want him. He just tied me into a tree for a hundred years. Like, no. Um, So a, a dear friend of mine actually wrote in her own hand a version of that story for me so i might at some point read that whole story uh on like the youtube or something it's really it's just such an awesome story um but yeah so and there are many adaptations of it so no tale is told more than any other um so i kind of combined them all you know what i mean but some stories which i really liked actually gave him the last name of misery as a tale to explain why misery exists on this earth Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I definitely also- remember something about um, the devil being tricked or death being tricked into getting an apple out of the apple tree. There's definitely like variations around that. And well, you're like, you feel bad for the devil or death because he's actually trying to do something nice and get the guy an apple. Mm-hmm. And in some stories, he's also a trickster and a thief as well, not a blacksmith. I'm sure yeah. of it. In the soldier in death, he's he's a soldier and he he's coming home from war and he's got three biscuits and each biscuit he gives to a different homeless person. So he's giving up all of his food and each homeless person, one of them gives him a ruby whistle, like a, a, a beautiful whistle. One of them gives him a playing a deck of playing cards that he can never lose with. And another one gives him a sack, which whatever you call into it will run into the sack and has no choice but to. So he'll like go to the pond and be like, hey, geese, get in my sack. And suddenly he's got like five fat geese in his sack. So it's that story, he's a, he's a good man. His intentions are good. Um, and in some stories, some tellings of the de- the blacksmith here, he's a dickweed. Like he, he's, a, he's just a bad man through and through. This one, he starts off as a good man and then he just kind of got greedy with life. Mm. But um, yeah, it's that, that, kind of story the the foundation of that story is apparently really 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 yeah. old i've definitely heard a few versions of that and i definitely think that i've seen this jim henson version of it and i think also there's one on on um netflix right now um the show myths and monsters mm, oh okay there's also a movie on netflix right now called Eramentari, and it's a spanish movie made in 2017 which is is the devil and the blacksmith and it is fucking awesome <laughs> so so good so good i'm like shaking with how good it is well so, yeah yeah okay cool there's a few recommendations for there there for you guys yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Monsters is also really good yeah i haven't i haven't watched enough of it yet and i still i really need to do that so real quick before we wrap this up because i know we've been going for a bit yeah uh, i talk so... forever <laughs> So when it comes to American folk tales, folk tales about the devil, I thought this would be really, really easy. Yeah. And um, trying to find the right words to bring me the Google search that I wanted was not happening. Oh, wow. Because I wanted honest to God grassroots folk tales of the devil in American history, right? And funny enough, after hours of searching, I found one I loved. And I'd already done it for the Halloween episode. Fuck! Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the obvious, like, Devil Went Down to Georgia, which is the yeah. musical tale of the devil challenging a young boy to a fiddle contest. If the boy wins, the devil, uh, the boy wins, he gets a golden fiddle. If he loses, he loses his soul, mm-hmm. um, ending in a riftastic fiddle battle. We all know mm-hmm. the song, and it is, it feels so much like a folktale. And, and I like that you brought up the fact that folktales don't have to be old to be a folktale. Because that is such a fucking solid folktale. But it was only written in 1979. It's <laughs> It becomes its own legend. Yeah, yeah. It was written and performed by the Charlie B- Daniels Band in 1979 with no particular verifiable origin. Oh the closest God. anyone could come to guessing what the inspiration came from was when the lead singer was just like, I think I recall reading a poem and uh, called like the Mountain Whippoorwill. So I looked into it. And they're in, written in the 1920s, I think it was 1925, there's a poem called The Mountain Whippoorwill, or also known as How Hillbilly Jim Won the Great Fiddler's Prize by Stephen Vincent Benet. It's a story about a hillbilly who bet a dollar in a fiddle contest against the best fiddlers in Georgia. There is no devil in this story. 
but um, it is really fun, fun to say. I read it out loud like three times. Well, this is fucking fun. There is a portion of the poem, which I'm going to read to you now. No particular, uh, this little ditty. Try and stop a fiddle, now my fiddle's getting hot. Whippoorwill singing through the mountain hush. Whippoorwill shouting from the burning bush. Whippoorwill crying in the stable door. Sing tonight as you never sang before. He'll break you loose like a stomping mountain shoat. Sing till you bust gold yore in your throat. Hell's broke loose for 40 miles around. Bound to stop your music if you don't sing it down. Sing on the mountains, little Whippoorwill. Sing to the valleys and slap them with a hill. For I'm strutting high as my eagle's quill. And hell's broke loose, hell's broke loose, hell's broke loose in Georgia. Wow. That's the closest I could get to any kind of like devil affiliation to that poem it's really fucking fun to say though for the record uh, yeah um, I, for those of you who can't see which is all of you she was proper rootin' tootin' like what is it called when you do that motion <laughs> but everyone knows what motion it is when you rootin' tootin' <laughs> swinging my arms pointing my fingers yeah so throughout uh throughout all america and canada i'm sure europe and beyond when it comes to folk tales about the devil it's usually along these lines the devil is looking to make a deal a person makes a deal for his soul in exchange for love wealth health etc and either cheats the devil or is cheated by the devil so here is one that i could find that is an american one and it is based in history it is based around a place um it's a real person so the assignment given to me, American Folk Tales, let me present you with the story of General Malton and the Devil. Now, Brigadier General Jonathan Malton was born on July 21st, 1726 in Northampton, Massachusetts. He was initially an indentured servant to a local cabinet maker. In 1744, he's won his freedom, quit the cabinet making, and moved on to silversmithing. Now, apparently, his silversmithing business, Malton and Towel Silversmithing Company, is still manufacturing silverware and utensils to this very day. Although under a different name. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Without getting too far down into his long history as a military man, let's just say he fought in the King George's War, the French and Indian War, right on into the American Revolution. And during the Revolutionary War, the colonel's regiment guarded the seacoast against British invasion. When the colonel marched his men to the Battle of Saratoga and helped to defeat the British Army, General Washington promoted him to a brigadier general. He was rewarded with land in the Lakes region and founded his own town of Moultonboro. After the King George War in 1749, he married a woman named Abigail Smith, with whom he had 11 children. Poor woman. On September 21st, 1775, amid the American Revolution, his wife Abigail died of smallpox. Mm. A year later, he married Sarah Emery and fathered yeah. four, four more children. Yeah. In the middle of the night, the new bride was awoken with a start to the sensation of something plucking at her hand and to her new wedding ring. It is said that a voice whispered in her ear, Give the dead her own. <laughs> With a shriek, she shot up only to find nobody there, and her ring was missing. Now, this is not part of the devil's deal, but it is still a genuine legend attached to General Moulton. Now, it is said that as a civilian, Jonathan grew to be a greedy man. Many quarrels with neighbors over land, and because of his wealth and title, he won more than a few lawsuits, lawsuits that he probably shouldn't have. So it's not hard to see why the town folk began to talk. He had more money than he ought. One night, while musing over how hard life can be, wealth, and how to acquire more of it, he fell to talking to himself, Oh, how I wish I had more gold. I'd sell my soul for more gold. In a flash, a tall, lanky fellow, all in black, whooshes down the chimney. Make it quick, old man. Do we have a deal? What? Uh, what? Stutters Malton. Come on, my dude, you know how I am. You know who I am. I don't have time to dally. In 15 minutes, i got to be 15 miles away in Portsmouth. Do we have a deal? 
The general was a little slow, so he just blinked at what was obviously the devil. To show he meant business, the devil ran his hands through his hair, and a shower of guineas fell to the floor. "'Get me some liquor,' the devil demanded. "'Let's make this quick, Jonathan. I'll make you the richest man in, in the province. Sign this paper, and on the first day of every month I will fill your boots with gold. Don't try any tricks with me now, or you'll regret it.' Moulton was hesitant to make such a deal, but when he glimpsed the contract, he saw many other prominent names on it which put him at ease, though it said he embellished his signature with a few extra loops, crossing of T's, and so on, you know, just in case. He went and bought the biggest jackboots he could find and put them in the chimney, and on the first of every month he would find them full to the very top. Now this was a shit ton of money, but was it good enough for Jonathan? Of course not. So one month the devil comes to deposit his bootly allotment of gold and found that no matter how much gold he poured down the chimney, the boots weren't filling up. Frustrated, he slipped down the chimney himself and found that Jonathan had cut the soles off the boots and set them above a hole to the basement. True to his word, the devil filled the basement boots only to come back a day later and set the whole building ablaze. Don't fuck with the devil, man. Moulton wasn't too worried about it, though. He managed to get his family out, which is awesome. Some of his animals died, but hey, these things happen, and you know what? Gold melts. So as soon as those flames died down, he ran to find a large. He would run to find the largest amount of molten gold and dance on it. Well, once the flames were out, he rushed to his basement with a grin on his face, only to find nothing, not a single coin, not a single yellow glimmer. And not long after the fire, he passed away. The pallbearers remarked that the coffin felt remarkably light. The neighbors gave him a decent funeral. After all, he had fought in many wars. He was a military man. But not long after they buried him, some grave robbers dug, dug up the grave and found the coffin. It was completely empty. Was that the end of the story? That's the end. Lame! Oh! No, I, I do not feel... It was, like, so interesting. It was taking me somewhere, and then it just stops. I hate when that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, there wasn't... I looked. I read, like, That's ten right. versions of that story. That's like, you know... <laughs> You know, sometimes things don't have a big climactic ending. They just, <laughs> they, it just ends with an empty coffin. Yeah, yeah. The devil took the gold, the devil took his soul, the devil took his body. Or did he ever exist at all? Ooh. There's a whole <laughs> fucking town named after him. I'm sure he existed at some point. But yeah, I mean, it's, he's a real no, general. No, no, what I mean is, like, they, like, the devil erased him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. But yeah, like, you know, real story, real general, um, real wives. Um, there was uh, his second wife did have her ring stolen in the middle of the night. And they assumed because he had married so quickly after the death of his previous wife that it was her coming back to get her ring. Mm. Um, there was a house fire and he genuinely he ran at it like the devil was at his back um, and uh was devastated to find an, an empty basement. They, he wasn't worried about anything else. All these other things that that he would he should have been devastated about, but he was apparently like screaming about his basement being empty. So you know, there's 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 roots of it kind of. There there are, yeah. The, it's not a true story in any way, but it's its roots are so firmly implanted into the history of it that it's just really, really neat, and I loved yeah, it's it. Def- it's definitely lore. It's definitely lore. It, it is real places, real people, real events, but have been given, like, a fantastic twist. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. And all, and all coming from a place of hating this guy because he was a rich prick that was getting his way no matter what. 
Yeah, I suppose under those sort of circumstances, you could call like conspiracy theories folklore. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm sure like 300 years from now, they'll, they'll look at some of the conspiracies coming out now and be like, well, they believed this. <laughs> yeah, but in the same way that we think people believed folklore. Yeah. So it's 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 food for thought that that we go oh those primitive simple folk of the Bronze Age and the medieval era or whatever believing in these devil stories, but we don't believe our modern folk stories, which yeah. is I think, probably conspiracy theories and um yeah I would say conspiracy theories are hmm, arguably folk folk yeah I'd say I'd put it in folk folk stories in well, the yeah, and whereas whereas we're sitting here disbelieving a lot of the the uh conspiracy theories you had the church back then just disbelieving a lot yeah. of the, the to- tales that were going on back then and also i mean it was interesting i mean these aren't about the devil so much but america we have so much folklore but when it came to picking down ones that were specifically about the devil that mm. was weirdly really tricky i can find them about anywhere else in europe and i think that's just because they have a longer history than we do um mm. and and Maybe. they're their origins run deeper. Our origins really are like, you know, pioneers and beyond kind of kind of thing. That's that's sort of where our folklore really kicked in because I wonder, I wonder if it's like a folklorist snobbery in that it won't be designated as folklore because it's not old enough to be designated as folklore, but it's still folklore, whether or not you want to put an age on it or not. Yeah, well, like the mm. people of the Appalachians, the, the the Appalachians, they they were rife with folklore, but again, not not so much about the devil. That I mean, that's where we had the the um the the angel crowns, you know, from the pillows when we talked about. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they were great. They had so many wonderful stories, but yeah, couldn't find a good Appalachian devil story. Maybe I didn't look hard enough, but I'm happy with what I got. Yeah, no, that was cool, definitely. My disappointment at the end wasn't my disappointment that. At the ending, it was the disappointment that it was over and there wasn't more to hear. Yeah. So there's a subtle <laughs> difference there. Um, it, yeah, no, the, I'm so glad that you were able to... I mean, that's strange to me. I'm just reflecting on it, that I, I genuinely thought that you were going to be spoiled for choice. Yeah, so did I. Absolutely. But again, and, and everything I did find was just like a tiny little paragraph and then I couldn't find any other sources to elaborate on it with and that's where that's where my search got really frustrating and fell short it was just like oh well there's this one and there's like no substance to it at all well, and I, I was like the- devil and Daniel Webster maybe I should do that ah, that was like you know 1930s 1950s that's that's not that's not what I want I want grassroots fucking stories but well, if you think about it, my folklore story, my folk tale was literally just a moment where the devil threw a stone. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, the stories themselves don't tend to take up very much space, if you will. They tend to be about an event or something very quite succinct to explain a series of things or a thing sometimes. And I read the paragraph um, from the <laughs> history book, if you will. Um, in a tone that I imagine he, the, the authors never expected to be read, <laughs> but it's it was a really dense paragraph, but it was still only a paragraph. But I keep imagining how that paragraph could inspire a song, and a dance, and yeah. like a performance around it, because you can have the devil acting out, someone dressed up and acting out 
the whole thing. stones at a castle, yeah. Yeah, so, and dropping their stones and all that sort of stuff. And so something very small becomes a whole performance. And uh, mummers and, and, and people that dress up in, um, you know, um, Morris dancers and things like that, people that dance. If you guys have seen The Wicker Man, I'm talking about those kinds of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're real. That's a real thing. That's yeah. what people do. And it's brilliant. And my favourite is when they dress up like ravens because it's really cool. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, you know, that could be a whole song and performance. So um, I, I don't... It is hard because when you want to convey a story, you kind of want it to last. But yeah, yeah I think it must be hard because they are only like, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And how many and ways can you variate that? And I'm a storyteller, so it's just like this is not sufficient for me. <laughs> and that's why it's that's why like um this is not the best medium for spreading folklore. Yeah, but that was still fun. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's it's not the best, but it's not the worst either. Yeah. You know, um, but if we could sing and dance our stories, we would have. But then it wouldn't be a podcast. It'd be a. Uh, It'd be a some YouTube kind channel. Of- the YouTube thing, yeah. Was <laughs> dancing about, prancing about now. I, don't I do not want to do that. Anyway, cool. 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 And we forgot to shout out at the beginning that um this was a listener request story, yes. kind of. It was just that he had messaged us about a specific folklore talk story about the devil. Um, and then I, through the course of the conversation, said to him, well, we'll pop it on our list and we'll talk about it. But then we didn't actually talk about the story that he told us to talk yeah. about. Kind of forgot about that bit. Um, but uh, just a shout out to Jim Author Archer Hay on Twitter. This was your topic. This, and thank you. This for is the- your fault. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where are we up to? We're up to social medias now. Yes, we are. So if you like this story, if you uh, want to hear anything else, if you have any questions, any particular devil folk tales that you're disappointed we did not bring up, please let us know on our Facebook, our Twitter, or our Instagram at Zombie Fishbowl or Zombie Fishbowl Podcast website coming soon. <laughs> um, if you have any topics that you would like us to cover, please let us know either on the social medias or you can email us directly at zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com. We super appreciate it. Um, also, what was it going to go with it? Oh, please, yeah, tell your friends, spread the word. Um, leave us reviews, love us, hug us, kiss us, massage my feet. Yes. Awkward silence. <laughs> I've just got this feeling. Was I supposed to get the quote? No, I got the quote. Oh, have I got for that? Right, okay, so we'll do oh, quote. I was like, <gasps> I didn't get a quote. I didn't write the intro, and I didn't get a quote. I suck. No. I'm going to make you do all of it next week or next yeah, time. That's right. It's whoever doesn't do the intro does the quote. <laughs> so the, the different person is at the end that was at the beginning. Yeah. So that it's like bookends, but of different people. Like the opposite of bookends. <laughs> People ends. Balance. Um. So before I do my quote, you want to pull us up a topic or? Yes, I'm going to do that now, and I'm going to do the song like this: random topic picker, random topic picker. <laughs> you're a random topic picker, and you're going to pick a topic. Nice. <laughs> Oh my god, Melanie! Oh no, what is it? <laughs> don't, uh, 
Dungeons and Dragons. Yes! <laughs> yes! So now we get to actually tell people about Dungeons and Dragons specifically. I'm actually playing D&D tomorrow. Nice. I didn't get I haven't been able to play in a while. Um, sorry. I'm if there's any consolation, the 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 way that I'm playing is not right. We're just kind of winging it just because we want to play. That's how it is. That's All right. how it goes. Yeah, unless you're playing with like super professionals, you're just fucking making shit up. It's great. It's awesome. Yeah, but I don't even think we're rolling the dice right. We literally just use the D20 all the time. Oh, no. Oh, that yeah, that's not right. Yeah, I know. And Sorry. there's been a few instances where I've said, I think you're supposed to add your thingy bob number to that. And they've gone, mm, what? And I'm going, no, it's fine. Whatever. D20. Oh. Just for the fun of it. <laughs> that hurts me a little bit in my soul. It hurts oh. me a little bit when I know as well. But I'd rather play it wrong than not play it at all at the moment. All right, I'm going to set up a game. We'll figure it out. Cool. Yeah. All right, so I have two quotes. And, you know, I was looking for quotes about devil's deals and things like that. And they're all so, what's the word, predictable? Mm-hmm. So I went with two quotes about the devil because I could. Okay. And one of them is from my favorite, one of my favorite people in the history of humans. See if you can figure this out. It's a dead giveaway, dead giveaway. The gods of the disc have never bothered much about judging the souls of the dead. And so people only go to hell if that's where they believe in their deepest heart that they deserve to go, which they wouldn't do if they don't know about it. This explains why it is important to shoot missionaries on sight. Stephen King. <laughs> She's wrong. <laughs> She's knowingly wrong. And that was Terry Pratchett. <laughs> And then my last quote is an Albert Einstein quote, and I think it's pretty good. The devil has put a penalty on all the things we enjoy in life. Either we suffer in health, or we suffer in soul, or we get fat. Yeah. Yeah, Einstein, that's right. I yeah. agree with you. <laughs> it's the whole damned if you do and damned if you don't mentality. Yeah. yeah. Might, as well, might as well get get fat and sassy. I'm going to get all fat and sassy. <laughs> I really hope people know what we're referencing. Uh, they, they better. Come on. It's like, that's me as a person. That's <laughs> that's my, that's the voice in my head. She's lovely. Just, yeah. I think if people were to Google the quote, I'm going to get all fat and sassy, it would come up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that'll be on that, my tombstone. I got all fat and sassy. Yeah. Fab. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> she just got all fat and sassy. She just got all fat and sassy. Rip. <laughs> <laughs> um. Right. Okay. So that's it. All. That's it. We're done. End of all podcast. the boxes of text. Yeah. All about. Yeah. Um. All there is left for me to say to you, Melanie, and to everybody in the world is um. Don't panic.